Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word. My name is David Knight and if this is your first time on our channel, we are so excited to have you with us. Please take the time to come and say hi in the comments below so that we can come and give you a nice, warm welcome. And make sure that you also hit that subscribe button so that you can be one of the first to watch our Christian Book of the Week interviews, as well as being able to access our entire archive of more than 1,800 videos teaching through every verse of the Bible. Today, we are delighted to be joined by the two authors of a brand new book, Pastors and Their Critics. We have Dr. Joel Beakey, whom has more than 40 years of being a pastor under his belt, and his co-author, Nick Thompson, who has recently graduated and is just starting out in pastoral ministry. This book is just excellent. And not only would it be useful for pastors, but for anyone who has received critique at some point, which is pretty much everyone. We start the interview by asking Nick and Joel to tell us a little bit about themselves. Well, uh, I'm, I'm Joel Beakey. And I was converted when I was 14 years old, and I've been serving pastoral ministry since I was 25, so 40-some years. And I've be, started a seminary with my denomination that is now an international seminary called Puritan Reform Seminary 25 years ago. And I'm also a um, leader of Reformation Heritage Books. I have a wonderful wife named Mary, three wonderful children, and four years ago had no grandchildren, but now we're expecting our seventh grandchild in two weeks. So the grandchildren come in like a flood, at least for us, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. How about you, Nick? Uh, my name is Nick, Nick Thompson, and I am married to Tessa. We've been married for about eight years. We have three little boys, Cannon, Owen, and Voss. And I was a graduate of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. So Dr. Beakey was one of my professors and mentor to me. And uh, now I just, as of this past Friday, was ordained and installed as the pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, lovely. Amazing. So how did the idea of this book come about and how did you decide to work on it together? Well, I gave a talk on how do you cope with criticism at Dr. John MacArthur's his 50th anniversary conference. And um, yeah, when I came off the pulpit, there was someone there from PNR Dave Olmack, and uh, just walked up to me and said, you need to expand this and we need to turn this into a book. And um, I actually signed a contract with PNR and was about to work on it and um, got, to, got to see Nick Thompson's gifts and um, realized I was a bit over my head because I had so many projects going. So... Um, I asked Nick if he would want to come on board and become a, a co-author with me and help me put together a lot of my, my thoughts and so on. And, um, he said, yes. So then I went to PNR and said, you know what? Nick is a really good writer. And uh, with him on board with me and we, we both pressing forth together, I think the book will be better than if I just did it alone. And they, they took about two weeks and came back and said, go for it. Wow. So, um, and I, I really believe that was a wise decision. Nick is a great fellow and um, 
a good listener, a good writer, and it's just been a wonderful, wonderful time working with them together on this. Yeah, brilliant. So Nick, what are some of the most common things that pastors get criticized for? That's a great question, David. I, I would say uh, more narrowly speaking, especially within Reformed churches where we prize the preaching of the word and believe in the primacy of the preached word, that a lot of the criticism that we face is going to be in the realm of the preaching and teaching ministry. But because of the, the public nature of our office uh, and, and the fact that we are to be examples to the flock in regards to every area of our lives, uh, there, there's a sense in which literally anything in the pastor's life can be, become the subject of criticism from the car that I drive to the way that I spend my money or raise my children or anything in that matter. Do you both have any examples that come to mind where you've been personally affected by criticism? <laughs> well, I've been a minister for 40 some years <laughs> yeah. and um, actually a couple of weeks from now, I hope to, um, I was installed 34 years ago in my church and I'll be 68 the same day I was installed. So half of my life will have been in this church. And um, the first years were really rough. There were some church problems and a church split. And so, yeah, I went through incredible, incredible amounts of criticism. The last 25 years have been uh, mild, very mild and, and wonderful. I, I love my church and it's, it's um, one nice thing about staying more than 10 years in a church is that when you stay a long time, your critics, I don't say this facetiously, but it's a little bit tongue in cheek. I always hate to see people go, but people who really despise you will, will leave because <laughs> I said, this guy's never going to go. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I was in a circle where there was a bit of hyper Calvinism and um, people did not want, some people did not want to hear preaching about the responsibility of man. And that just, the criticism I received from my preaching was, overwhelming just overwhelming um if i didn't know for a hundred percent i was called to ministry i would have quit many a time so you know 85 percent of people that are that quit the ministry pastors that quit uh said that their greatest problem was coping with criticism and that's why i feel that the book that nick and i put together um of all the books I've written, I've been a writer of my whole life. All the books I've written, I think, practically for pastors, this is the most important one I've ever written. Yeah, wow. Yeah, thank you, Joe. What about you, Nick? So unlike Dr. Beaky, I have four days as an ordained minister. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and as of right now, I have had no verbal hand grenades thrown at me. And uh, so it's, it's been a very peaceful beginning, uh, really, as is often the case, uh, a honeymoon season. And I'm, I'm just seeking to enjoy that. I know it's not going to last forever, but uh, just really loving this season. So when I, when I think of criticism, I, I can't give you examples from ordained pastoral ministry, but I can think of so many examples when 
uh, I was training and preparing for ministry. And I'll just give you one example of constructive criticism, as I think it's important as we talk about this uh, topic that we keep in mind there, there are good kinds of criticism and, and bad kinds of criticism. And uh, I can remember I was a, a fresh fresh into an internship at my church that ended up going for two years. And I was preaching my first sermon. And my pastor, Pastor Dale, had asked me to send him my manuscript ahead of time. And uh, so he called me the Saturday before I was supposed to preach. And I thought I had the perfectly crafted sermon like this. This is just great. And, uh, and Pastor Dale had some other thoughts. <laughs> and, and it was so, that conversation was so painful. Uh, it, it hurt my pride. And, uh, and I didn't respond to it very well. But over that two year long internship, I learned to love Pastor Dale's feedback. And I learned to, to pursue it because I recognized that that through that uh, God was exposing my weaknesses and and errors and uh, and helping me to grow as a better preacher. Yeah, yeah, so good. Nick, you talk about one of the most important aspects of a pastor's character needing to be humility. Tell us about that. Yes, humility is key. I, I'm actually I'm preaching a sermon series on humility right now, and I've I've become increasingly convinced of that that. The root of every sin that we struggle with as pastors is pride. Pride is our, our great enemy. And when it comes specifically to dealing with uh, criticism, I think uh, that's especially the case. So, um, so I'll, I'll just give you an example as, as to what, what this might look like. So you or I might get criticized for something we say in our preaching. Now, there are, there are a number of different ways that we could respond to that criticism. Um, I could respond by uh, being devastated by it. I could respond by uh, being angered and, and fight back with, with words. Um, or I could respond in humility. And I, I think what, what is important to recognize is that, uh, that that response of being devastated by criticism, which uh, in the words of modern psychology, we could, we could call low self-esteem, that uh, criticism devastates us. Uh, that, that response, along with the, the response of uh, being overly angry and hostile towards our critics both look like polar opposite responses but they actually have the same root and the root is pride mm -hmm. what's the reason why i'm so devastated by humility because my ministry and my preaching is is about me I'm, I'm wanting to make a name for myself. I'm wanting the applause and the approval of others. I want people to think I'm really something. And, uh, and when they don't, it devastates me. Well, likewise, what, what is it that's motivating me to throw punches and jabs at people when they criticize me? It's, it's the same issue. It's a consumption with self. My world revolves around me, myself, and I. And, uh, and so that's, that's where humility is. 
is uh, so key when when dealing with with these issues and and by humility all all we mean biblically speaking is a proper understanding of ourselves in the light of God's glory and so in the scriptures humility is intimately connected to the fear of the Lord as we're as we're fearing God we see ourselves rightly in our creatureliness and in our sinfulness and it enables us then to love the people around us and to respond to their criticism yeah. rightly. So good. Joel, you start off a book by looking at the Old Testament, for examples, in how to cope with criticism. Tell us about what you found. Well, the Old Testament, of course, has many, many examples, as does the New, of disagreements and disharmony among people and subsequent criticisms and so on. Um, in, in the opening chapter, I believe that we looked at four examples. We looked at uh, God, which is an astonishing beginning, God being criticized by, by Adam in the garden. And then we moved to um, criticism against Moses and Aaron by, by Miriam. And then we moved to um, criticism of the David experience so many times in his ministry. And I think the chapter concludes with criticism against Nehemiah. And we, tr we tried to show that in all four of those cases, responses were very different, but they were fitting for the particular need uh, as these individuals responded rightly. And Nick was just talking about humility. I mean, the humility of Moses' response was, was phenomenal and how he interceded for his own sister when she was coming out against him. But um, Nehemiah's response was really one of humility as well. And so was David's, you know, let Shimei curse, uh, the Lord hath bidden him. I mean, that's incredible humility. He could have, I mean, nobody would have said anything. David just killed, killed, killed him right there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Nehemiah's is an interesting response. You know, he's too busy to come down to speak to Sembelwin and Tobiah. It's a, it's a humility thing because he's doing the work of the Lord. He's not self-obsessed, as Nick said. He's doing the work of the Lord. And he knows that to come down and dialogue with them and get involved uh, will take him away from that work. And that raises the whole question that we bring up later in the book. Um, are there times when you actually don't respond to critics? And I believe, I believe there are, but you need wisdom to know, know the difference. Nick, what can we learn from Christ when it comes to dealing with criticism? There's a lot that we can learn from, from Jesus. Jesus is the, the apex of uh, creaturely humility. And, uh, and so he exudes that in perfection. And uh, unlike us, there, there is no possibility for Jesus because of his, his sinlessness, no, no possibility for any constructive criticism to be uh, thrown his way. Uh, so all the criticism that he faced, which his ministry was pervaded with uh, critique, with verbal flack, uh, all of it was, was unjust. And yet to see Jesus's response is uh, remarkable and really gives us a, a picture of what humility looks like in, in action. And so there, there were times when uh, Jesus would not respond, as, as Dr. Beeky was just talking about, and, uh, and he would press forward. But what we see with Christ that I think is really important to bring out, because 
our cultural conception of humility is oftentimes a, a limp-wristed spinelessness uh, that's just going to let anyone push us around. And, and that's not biblical humility. And, and that's, that's what we see in Christ. Christ is uh, just a beautiful manifestation of meekness and majesty. And, and uh, when, when he speaks, he speaks with authority. And he's, he's not afraid to correct his opposers, but, but he always does it in wisdom and in love. Yeah, yeah, so good. You've written for the need for pastors to be realistic when setting expectations for their ministry. Tell us about that. Well, you know, sometimes when people begin ministry, even, even ministers who continue for quite a while, they have very unrealistic expectations. And often what happens is if they're not careful, every little criticism comes their way. Mm. They turn these little molehills into mountains and demand this person repents and <laughs> they get involved in so much trouble because they, 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 they just build on the trouble. And uh, you need to be realistic about human nature. Human nature is going to spout off and it's like raising kids. You know, if you, you got to pick your battles. Mm -hmm. Every three-year-old who says one, one word that's a little bit out of order, if you set them down and try to correct them, you'd be talking all day long. Yeah. Um, so be realistic in the ministry, I think, means that you're, you're not overly optimistic about human nature. You have, a, you have a real view of human nature. Also, redeemed humanity is not perfected humanity. That's coming one day, but it's not here yet. But you can also be too negative. Uh, and, and, you know, I do a lot of conferences around the world, and I don't know what it is about that, but I suppose pastors feel free to come to you and, and speak. But a lot of pastors I meet are not in good relationships with certain people in their congregation or maybe an elder, and they tend to talk about that almost right away with you. And you, you can feel this negative kind of bitter spirit coming over them. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. I think we should serve with joy. And I think one of the things that's a problem here is that we forget we're just called to be servants. Just called to be servants. That's all. Uh, for Jesus' sake. We, we bring the message of Jesus Christ. And if our Lord was... So accused, as Nick just said, and he was totally innocent. And we we're almost always partially guilty, uh, even if it's five percent guilty in the criticism. Um, why, why shouldn't why shouldn't we expect it? And, you know, there's an old Dutch saying: "He who stands up in the front uh, will get kicked in the rear." It, it comes with the territory. You can't possibly be such a public figure and not be criticized. Uh, John Wesley once wrote in his diary: "Lord, I haven't been criticized all day. What's wrong?" Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've got to expect it. And I just want to say one more thing here. When we, the, the best thing we can do when we get criticized is to think about Jesus. Because everything, absolutely everything that comes my way, no matter how unjust it is, it's not as bad 
as who I really am inside my heart with all my indwelling sin. Yeah. So I need to remember that. Yeah. Yes, that criticism is not true, but who am I to be upset over a little criticism? Yeah. And so I take it to Jesus, and then I look at him, and I see how deeply he was criticized, totally innocent, when he only meant good. And that gives me coping mechanisms. In fact, of all the coping mechanisms I've tried in my lifetime, just remembering Jesus yeah. is the very best one. Yeah, so good. We live in an age where we have celebrity pastors with huge online followings. What impact do these comparisons cause for our typical pastor, Nick? I would say they have the potential to be a, a huge snare to cause men like myself new in the ministry to make the ministry into a means to an end uh, and that end being my own self-exaltation and the exaltation of my name and um, and so when when that happens then suddenly my church the the sheep that God has has called me to shepherd they they become uh, depersonalized and they become stepping stones as it were to something something greater something uh, that that I'm pursuing uh, for for myself and uh, and that's that's devastating but it's it's a very uh, I think especially in in our day a, a very real snare I mean I feel it I feel it today having this conversation and uh and having my name on on the cover of a book like oh man here's this guy freshly graduated 30 years old and look he's already published a book and uh is doing interviews and man nick you're really some big stuff this is great and and you forget uh completely lose sight of the fact as dr Beaky was just saying the ministry is not it's not about me yeah uh, it's about jesus it's about his name it's about his church it's about his glory yeah. and, uh, and me. Uh, I just, I, th I think of uh, Ephesians uh, 3, 8. It's been kind of my, my constant meditation lately where Paul says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to yeah. preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Like what gracious privilege I have and uh, and to think that that I and, and my pride would use that uh, instead of preaching Christ and exalting Him uh, to exalt the self, but yeah, it's a very very real issue. I know this book deals with criticism, but what dangers are there for a pastor that instead receives nothing but praise? Yeah, it, I, well, actually, David, I don't know of any pastor that receives nothing but praise. <laughs> met him <laughs> um, but anyway praise does tend to really throw off out of out of step a, a young a young pastor when we're young we I've been there and done this many a time every little compliment you know is, yeah. is a big deal um, a little old widow comes up to you after church and says that was just the most wonderful sermon you ever heard she ever heard and you know, you can start feeling pretty good about it. Um, I, I had a lady once who came up to me afterwards and told me this was just a great sermon. 
but I had seen her throughout the whole church service and she was sleeping through most of it. And so that, that helped me <laughs> awaken me to say, don't take this too seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the important thing here is to remember one thing always, if I have any gifts whatsoever, I've received them from the Lord. So wherefore dost thou boast? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything I ever do that has anything of God in it is pure grace, pure grace. So there's never any reason for boasting in me. I, I love the text. We are at best unprofitable servants. Even when we do our duty, when we're doing everything right, we're just unprofitable servants. Just nothing compared to God. Yeah. And whatever we do, we have to give God credit for. Yeah. So I think that, that will help us keep us, keep us, keep our feet on the ground. And, uh, and, but you know, you do need a certain amount of praise as well. We've got to be realistic with human nature. Uh, if no elder ever said a word to me about one of my sermons, I, I could become very discouraged. Mm. We need to balance all these things out. You know, God is wise. And I think it's like a balancing scale. I think normally he gives us a balance of praise and criticism and knows exactly what we need. Yeah. Uh, at certain junctures in our life, maybe the criticism is overwhelming and God has a purpose in view to sanctify us further or something like that. But um, normally when someone, you see, when I was a young minister, someone would praise me. I would say, well, uh, no, no, don't praise me. Uh, praise the Lord. And, and I, I, I I'd enter into a dialogue with him about it. And then they end up, no, no, but you, but you, but you. <laughs> it just goes from bad to worse. So now I learned early on just to say, thank you. And may God bless you. Yeah. 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 Nick, what advice would you have for a faithful pastor that is getting criticized and encouraged to water down his preaching and make it softer and more seeker sensitive? I think I would just quote uh, the, the words of God to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Uh, do not be fearful and do not be dismayed. That, uh, yeah, the, we, we need to have a, a certain openness to people speaking into our preaching. I think humility demands that, that we, we recognize we're fallible. Uh, we don't always see and understand the scriptures rightly, and and we don't always uh, proclaim them as clearly and uh, and illustratively as we as we could. Um, we're going to make wrong applications and and whatnot. But um, but if someone's coming at me with the the criticism that uh, that they just they don't want to hear of sin and of Jesus being the only way to salvation and of the reality of hell and eternal condemnation, because these things are just, they're uh, too offensive and, uh, and, and they're politically incorrect in our postmodern cultural context. Well, um, I, I, I just would uh, graciously essentially tell them, uh, thank you, but uh, I, I can't, uh, water down this message and uh, encourage you to stick around. But if you can't handle what's coming from the pulpit, then there's plenty of other churches you could go to. Yeah. Joel, we know that we have a sovereign God. Is God sovereign over the criticism we receive? And how can and does he use that? Well, of course, God is sovereign over the criticism we receive because he's sovereign over everything. 
Um, how can and does he use that? Well, I think he uses it in a major way. First of all, a lot of criticism he received is good. Uh, I have a flesh and blood brother who's a godly man. And he used to say, if the criticizer is 90% wrong and 10% right, go and apologize to him without looking at the other 90%. And often when you apologize, he'll say, well, will you forgive me too? Because <laughs> his conscience is speaking um, that he's also partly to blame. So we need to, we need to be peacemakers when we receive criticism, but we also need to grow in God's sovereignty from the criticism we receive. If I was never criticized in my ministry, I'd be a, I'd be a totally different minister at this point in my life. And uh, I think a worse one. The criticism I've received in my life has, has broken me. It's humbled me. It's made me far more pastoral than I ever would have been. Uh, how, can, how, can, how can we relate as a minister to all kinds of people in all kinds of afflictions if we're never afflicted? So it's like David said in the Psalms, you know, and, and, and Calvin said about David, I had to experience everything that David experienced in the Psalms in order to be able to relate to all my people. So I think you need to understand that God uses it to chisel away on us, our, our pride, as, as Nick was talking about. But more than that, to just give us practical wisdom, how to handle people and um, how to handle ourselves and, and, and to see God's hand in everything. I mean, think of David. I use that example, saying, Shimei, uh, the Lord has bidden him to curse me. That's sovereignty. I wonder if David would have said that as a 15-year-old as a shepherd boy. I doubt it. I, I, think, I think he learned that through experience, that God is sovereign over everything that comes our way. So the thing you want to remember in that sovereignty is God will use the criticism for exactly the purpose he designed it in your life. And you, you, you may not know that ahead of, you may not even know that behind time, but he's forming you and shaping you. And he'll give you exactly as much as you need. As, as the Puritan George Downing said, God gives us broad enough shoulders to cope with criticism. And then he puts on our shoulders, tailor-made, fit for our shoulders, the kinds of criticism that can most help us. Yeah, yeah. Nick, how can and should criticism impact our prayer life? Well, if, if we're walking in the fear of God and walking humbly before our God, criticism is going to drive us to the secret place. So it, it, criticism has the potential, if, if we're not in a good place spiritually, if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit, it has the potential to drive us from prayer, to harden our hearts. But, uh, but one, of, one of the great gauges and litmus tests of, of whether we're in a good place spiritually or not in the face of criticism is if it drives us to the, the secret place. And uh, so uh, to go back to your, your previous question, David, about the sovereignty of God, one of, one of the statements that stuck with me from seminary uh, it was a statement that Dr. Beakey made in, in class one day about the marrow of Calvinism. And he, so he, he's asking the question of what, what is Calvinism at its heart? And by Calvinism, we just mean 
biblical Christianity? What, what is it if you get to the core of it? And, and he defined it this way, and I think he's, he's right, uh, that it's the fatherly sovereignty of God in Jesus Christ. And so, so when we, we understand that, that the, the God who's working all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11, is, is our, in Christ, our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, who Romans 8, 28, is working all things for our good, including whatever criticism comes our way. That, that should drive us to our Father. It should drive us to, to seek Him earnestly. It should drive us to uh, look to Him, asking Him uh, to, to expose the, the sin within. And, uh, and to, to pray for our, our critics and ask that God would be graciously working in them and that God would give wisdom and, and grace and, and work out his good purposes in this, which ultimately, according to Romans 8.29, is our conformity to Jesus Christ. So that should be really what's, what's driving us uh, to prayer. But yeah, and then as that, as that happens, so criticism should drive us to prayer. And then the, the amazing thing is there's, there's a beautiful, in God's grace, a beautiful circularity here. And we talk about this in the book, that criticism drives us to prayer. And then as we pray, as we set our face to seek God, that enables us to respond to criticism rightly. Yeah. Brilliant. Joel, how would you practically deal with a church member that has become like a magnet and can't help but give you a running commentary critique on everything that you do? Oh, I've had a few of those. Uh, yeah, lots of patience, lots of love, but don't let them dominate your life. And um, I find, quite frankly, that sometimes you have to put fences around such a person i haven't i mean there's not thank god there's not ever more than one or two people like this in a congregation i think i'll give you a quick quick story i had a guy like this i mean for years and he would listen to every sermon and then about every six weeks he'd call me up he want to come over and criticize my sermons and he'd sit down and he'd say now on the sermon you preached on such and such a day at minute 42 uh 27 seconds into the sermon this is what you said and he'd quote it and said, you know, but this is what you should have said. Do you agree? <laughs> and it just went on and on. You know, and sometimes he had good points. I say, you know what? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good idea. And I'll try to remember that for the future. You know, so sometimes I tried to reach out, but I, I just got, it got tiring, just tiring. Yeah. So finally I said to my wife one day, you know, he's coming again. I've just got to tell him, I've got to tell him, save, save up for half a year all your criticisms, and let's do it in one, one fell swoop, two times a year. I, I can't do this every six weeks. I'm too busy. So I was going to tell him gently and lovingly, and he comes in, he sits down, and I'm about ready for it. And I thought, how do I approach this? How do I, how do I open him up? And all of a sudden, he looks at me, he said, you know, I'm thinking you must be very tired of me. I come here every six weeks and criticize you, and uh, it's just you must just be tired of me. I, I, I've come to see it's, it's my sin. Would you, is there any possibility that somewhere in a corner of your heart, you'd, you'd have the freedom to forgive me? Wow. Well, I said, stand up, man. That's exactly what I said. Stand up, man. 
And I gave that guy a bear hug he'll never forget. I said, I forgive you and I love you. I mean, I wanted to say it too before he changed his mind. <laughs> but, but I was really sincere. I, I really totally forgave him because I saw repentance. It was beautiful. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's a balancing thing, isn't it? Sometimes long patience pans out. As it did in this case, actually. I could have cut it off long before that and left him very bitter. But uh, by God's grace, I, I was patient enough to last out. But I was almost coming to the end of my rope. Yeah. And um, God brought him to repentance just in time <laughs> before, before we might have clashed. But um, I, I think patience, wisdom, and also prayer. I've had people that, you know, will go on and on and on and on. And sometimes you just need to say to them, well, it's been great talking with you. Let, let's bring this all to the Lord in prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sort of tends to, I mean, you're, you're sincere in your prayer. I'm not playing games here with people. But it also tends to, to wind down a, a, a conversation. Because mm -hmm. some people will talk two hours about something. Yeah. I always have a rule that if people have concerns to talk to me about that, Unless there's unusual circumstances, uh, don't go more than one hour because if you can't say it in the first hour, you can't say it in the second. Yeah, yeah, so good. Nick, what are some practical things to avoid when receiving critique? I think it's, it's important to recognize that oftentimes our critics just want to be heard. They, they want to be listened to. And uh, so you want, you want to avoid at all costs giving any indication by body language or uh, by facial expressions or the, or the words you speak that, that you are not, not hearing and open to receiving uh, what they are saying. So uh, you want to avoid things like crossing your arms or, or having a, a scowl on your face or looking at your phone or your watch every five minutes. Um, and, and then, you know, along with that, this isn't something to avoid, something to do, but something in order to show that you're, you're actually listening and actually care about this person and their concerns is one of the best ways to show that you're listening is to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, so to engage this person with, with good questions that help them draw out what it is that they're struggling with and to, to receive that. And, uh, and to, to maybe, so one thing that would be, I think, good to avoid ordinarily, there, there are times where you can respond to criticism if it's a more minor thing right away, but, uh, but one thing to avoid is responding uh, when you're angry or frustrated. And if, it, if it's a bigger criticism coming at you, to, um, to feel the freedom to say, hey, look, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I really appreciate you coming to me, expressing this concern. I just, I need some time to process this, yeah. to bring this before the Lord, to search my own heart. Uh, can you call me on, Tuesday, or can, can we meet together again this next week to discuss these things? So avoid being rash yeah. and, um, and answering uh, in, in anger. Yeah, so good. Nick, another question for you. When is the right and when is the wrong time to give feedback to your pastor? 
the wrong time to give feedback to your pastor is right as he's walking off the pulpits yeah. on Sunday morning, or for that matter, Monday morning, uh, as especially in both Dr. Beakey and I's traditions where the pastor has poured himself out preaching two sermons, oftentimes teaching Sunday school as well. When Monday morning comes around, uh, he, he's spent, and, um, and that is not a good time to, to be calling to critique uh, something that he said in, in his message. So if, if it's something surrounding the sermon on Sunday, uh, wait until Tuesday. Uh, that's not only going to be good for your pastor and uh, have more of a probability of him being receptive to it, but it's also going to be good for you and mm-hmm. giving you some time to not speak rashly and to process and to, to pray about uh, whatever your, your concern is. I, I would say, too, um, when, when you're wrestling with when to criticize and when not to, it's important to know your pastor. So Dr. Beeky and I are very different in this regard, that uh, by, by 8 p.m., I am about good for nothing uh, intellectually and emotionally. I'm ready for bed. And Dr. Beeky is just getting reared up and ready to go for the day at that point. Like, that's his prime time. Yeah. And so if you come to me at 9 p.m. with criticism, I am not going to be in a, in a good place uh, to to receive that, uh, whereas that that would maybe be a, a good time to to approach Dr. Beaky, um, and so so to know to know your pastor to know even his genetic makeup because that that is a a, a sleep chromosome as uh, as they call it that each of us has that's different and that's that's going to mean that there are certain times where it's better than others to to bring these kind of things up. So useful. Joel, if you was at a conference and you witnessed a friend teaching something that needed critique, how would you go about that and what would you say? When I was younger, I probably would have approached him uh, sometime at the conference. Um, Probably wouldn't do that now. I'd probably use what I call the uh, Pauline sandwich. Um, And that is to say, I'd probably approach him few weeks later or get on a zoom call or visit him i would never 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 write an email emails are the worst way to criticize someone uh, i would try to see him at least like we're doing right now and i would say to him look you know you had a wonderful talk at the conference if, if i could say that in sincerity of course um in 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 express some affirm, affirm affirm some positive things and then i would say you know i just have a, a concern i just wanted to you know approach you about if you ever preach this message again that you might want to think about and then 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 give very gently the criticism see how he responds to it if he responds very negatively i probably would back up unless it, unless it was heresy of course i'd have to deal further with it but um but then at the end of the conversation, I would be sure to reaffirm him. And um, I would just do the whole thing in a spirit of love and come alongside him and, and be at his level and make sure I didn't, didn't do the criticism looking down. The spirit of how you criticize someone really makes all the difference. I always say, if someone feels your love, that you're really doing it for them, um, 
95% of human beings will receive that criticism fairly graciously. Some won't, but majority of men, if you approach them rightly, it's all about the approach. And that's true of all criticism, by the way. Um, you have to criticize an elder, you have to criticize your, your, your child. Uh, do like Paul. Paul starts out his epistles, think how he starts out to the Corinthians. He's very gracious to them. Thank you for praying for me. I, I, I love you. Or, you're on my mind. You're on my heart. And then comes seven criticisms he has to answer in 1 Corinthians. So he, he lays down the slice of bread, compliments them, affirms them. Then comes seven layers of meat, the meat of criticism. This is a fat sandwich. <laughs> and then at the end of the epistle, he says, you know, don't, don't, um, or he says, I wish I could be with you. I'll come at the first opportunity. You know, greet one another with a holy kiss, whatever y'all says there. Just very, very warm. And um, I think that's the way to criticize anyone. And to do that privately, never do it in front of someone unless it's a, a very serious heretical mm. statement. Well, Nick, Joel, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you both today. Do either of you have any closing thoughts before we go? Well, I would say, you know, this book is not just for pastors. And I would say buy it for yourself. You know, I think 90% of it, you will learn a lot about human relationships, if I may say that so humbly, Nick. <laughs> um, I, I do think there's... There's way, way too much uh, in our society of anger and bitterness and uh, everyone thinks they're right all the time and they can't cope with criticism. But do give this book to your pastor. Do buy some copies for your elders and leaders, but, but use it for yourself. And uh, I think you'll find it helpful. And we have, if I can say this, we have, I think the best discount price at our, um, our book ministry heritagebooks.org. Um, you can find it at a very, it's close to 50% off, if not 50, I believe. So it's probably eight, $9, somewhere in that range. And you can get a really good deal. We'll send it to you. And Pastors and Their Critics, A Guide to Coping with Criticism in a Ministry, but you can use it also in your family and in every area of life. Brilliant. And what about you, Nick? Have you got any closing thoughts? I would just say along with that, that I have an elder and his wife here who have been working through it. They've been going through some difficult things and, uh, and wrestling with criticism that's come their way and they've found it to be profoundly helpful to them. So yes, it's not, we did write it specifically geared towards pastors, but it definitely, the, the principles that are there and the biblical truths that undergird them are applicable across the board for, for all people. And, uh, and I think especially in the time in which we find ourselves in, in the midst of the, the continuing uh, pandemic and all the implications of that, all, all the division and strife that that has caused in, in the church itself, tragically, mm -hmm. uh, that this, this is a wonderful time for us to uh, reorient our perspectives, biblically speaking, with regards to how to both receive and to give uh, critique. Mm -hmm.